the Jerem Sydney Podcast. This month, we are exploring a new series, His Kingdom Comes. Together, let's grow deeper in our understanding and the revelation of the gospel of the kingdom of God and His return. Don't forget to share this podcast to bless others and visit our Facebook page and the website at jeremsydney.com. We pray that this message empowers you and brings you into a right and fruitful relationship with Jesus. God bless you. Fantastic. All right, can we just uh, once again, wow, look at you guys. Teka lang. Teka lang. Tinitignan ko lang ang ano. Savor the moment. Yan. Wow. Wow. Namiss ko to. <laughs> Normally, it's empty chairs every Sunday. So, such a good feeling to be back in the house, eh? With the family of God. Yeah, I was sharing to the team earlier during our prayer huddle. Uh, imagine if we are, like all of us are already very excited to be coming together and worshiping the Lord uh, uh, in one room. More is the excitement of our father. You know, and the parent, you know, and the parang reunion of the children coming together in his presence. Amen? So good. Amen. Namiss kita. You're alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic. Okay, one. Hola. Okay, I'm convinced. You are alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic. Amen. Amen. All right. So are you ready for the word? Ready? Pens out, notebooks out, uh, your Bibles out as well. We are continuing with our month series. What's our month series? His kingdom comes. Amen. His kingdom comes. And the title of the message I'd like to share with you today is the upside down kingdom. Everyone say with me, the upside down kingdom. And uh, we, we can see the verse there. It's Matthew 5 to 7. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the entire chapters today. Uh, but it's more of a helicopter ride of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to 7 is most famously known for the Sermon on the Mount. And I would like to request you this week, you know, to meditate, read, meditate, and uh, really uh, absorb and digest. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, your reading this week will be Matthew 5 to 7. I, I told Eugene earlier that this preaching is half-cooked. You know why? Because it will only be fully cooked when you do your part this week. When you read, meditate, and really digest the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're going to explore that concept in uh, just a, a little bit. But let me just remind you of our key verse that you should have memorized by now. Uh, Revelations 11.15. Revelation. Sorry, not Revelations. <laughs> Revelation 11.15. And the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah. And He will reign forever and ever. Now, why uh, the upside-down 
kingdom. Now, the central idea of this is that the kingdom of the Lord is completely inverse or uh, uh, it, it challenges the popular, normal, cultural norms of the kingdom of the world. It, it basically pertains to, when you read the Bible, basically when you're familiar with the scripture and what uh, Jesus was teaching, you will find a lot of times that the things that have greatest value in the kingdom of the world normally has the lowest value in the kingdom of the Lord. So uh, let's explore this, okay? But before that, let's uh, offer this to the Lord right now. This is precious. This is precious. Let's bow down our heads and prepare our hearts. Hallelujah. Father, we give you glory. We thank you, Lord. And we don't take it lightly that we can gather once again. Lord, this is a gift, such a wonderful gift. There is something that flavors our worship, Lord, when we go through the desert. There's something that, you know, shapes, transforms the way we sing to you whenever we go through seasons of trials and challenges. And it's beautiful to hear, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for each and everyone who is in this room. But also equally, Lord, I pray that those who are joining us at home, Lord God, will continue to experience also the power of your presence. They will not experience a second-rate or second-class encounter with you, but right there in their living rooms right now, I pray that your powerful touch, O Holy Spirit, will be manifested. We honor you, Lord. Here's our heart. Here's our mind. Here's our full attention. Speak to us. Speak to us. Change us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's move on. There's uh, one philosopher who mentioned uh, in the book, I, I forgot already what book I read, but uh, he basically mentions one's kingdom extends as far as his or her will goes. Now, uh, we know that the kingdom of the Lord is, has its king, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of that kingdom. And normally, we find ourselves, especially Filipinos, we find ourselves grappling or having a conflicted idea with the concept of kingdom because we did not have that. We had democracy. But the concept of the kingdom is not like the concept of democracy. The democracy, the power is to the people, right? But the kingdom, the power is to the king. Whatever the king decides, it becomes a law. It becomes an edict. It becomes, you know, his will will be done in his kingdom. So, uh, it will not work. Our mindset or concept of democracy will not work when we are in the kingdom of God. Although, of course, the kingdom of the Lord is the perfect kingdom because it, He is the perfect king. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that whoever the king is in that kingdom, He will be the one to be in charge or His will will be done in that kingdom. Say, for example, in your own bedroom. In your bedroom, no one else can decide how to arrange your furniture in your bedroom, where to put your ornaments in your bedroom. It's you who decides, right? No, sometimes, for example, grown-up daughters and sons, when their mom sneaks in their room and rearranges things, the, mom, the daughter would say, why did you do that? Because this is my room. <laughs> because that's your kingdom. You don't want anyone to touch anything. In your kingdom, you know, say for example, you go to McDonald's 
and you have your kingdom on a tray, your french fries, your burger, <laughs> and then a stranger just walks by and then picks one of your french fries. You know, that's a declaration of war. What, what did you just do? This is my kingdom. Don't touch this. Right? So your kingdom, you are in control. You know, and your will will be done. Now the kingdom of the Lord, he is king. And what his will is, it will be accomplished. Amen? The upside down principles of the kingdom of God, um, when we become Christians, we... Uh, we, we become uh, introduced to a different kind of lifestyle. Because as we grow up, you know, in the cultures that we have grown up in, there are cultures and norms that we have accustomed ourselves in. And then, sanay na tayo, right? And when we become Christians, we all of a sudden realize that there are certain things, certain behaviors, certain norms that is not acceptable anymore in the kingdom of God. So it's very similar. When you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, there is definitely a change of government. There is a change of administration. So when you, for example, migrated from the Philippines to here in Australia, you cannot just do whatever you want to do the way that you grew up or lived in the Philippines here in Australia. Like, for example, in driving. You cannot just drive the way that you drive in the Philippines here in Australia because now you are governed by a different administration and you respect that authority. You live with those policy because you have decided to move to a different country. Yeah, every time I go back to the Philippines, uh, you know, sa mga mall, pag sa escalator, nalilito ka na. Ay, kanan nga pala dito. <laughs> so, you adjust. You adjust to the norms, just those behaviors, even the small patterns of behavior. It's different. Amen? It's different. So in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God has completely and totally different principles. And the way that we are a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. And they have been introduced to us a new way of living according to the edict of the king. Amen? So say, I'll just give you some examples here. So in the kingdom of God, this is some of the examples of the upside-down principles of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you gain life by losing it. Matthew 10.39, whoever finds his life or saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It, it doesn't make sense, but in the spiritual realm, it does. When you try to save your life, you will lose it. But when you lose it for the Lord, you will find it. The second one is you receive by giving. You have more by letting go more. In the kingdom of God, when you empty yourself, that's the time you will be filled. Yeah, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In the kingdom of God, you will be exalted when you are humble. In the kingdom of the world, humility, meekness, is looked down on. We're all, we're all about power and might and, you know, military might, nuclear war and all that. 
Pride is the downfall in the kingdom of the Lord. In the kingdom of God, pride has no place. You know, Matthew 23, 11 to 12, the greatest among you will be your servant. Who says that? In the kingdom of God, the greatest is the servant. That's why the church and the kingdom of God is moved forward by servants. Not talents. Servant leaders. Servanthood. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is how the principle in the kingdom of God works. In the kingdom of God, our weakness is our strength. And that's a good news. Because in this world, in the kingdom of the world, everyone tries to prove that they are strong. Tries to hide their weaknesses. But in the kingdom of God, it's okay if you have some weaknesses. Because in your weakness, you are strong. But he said to me, this is uh, the Lord speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, says Paul, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. In the kingdom of the world, you don't delight in your weaknesses. But in the kingdom of the Lord, yes, I am weak, and I acknowledge that. But because I am weak, God's power is made perfect in me. Hallelujah. Because if you are strong, you don't need the Lord anymore. Hey, you're sufficient, then it's up to you. But the, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see the principle of the upside-down kingdom? In the kingdom of the Lord, we rule by serving. We rule by serving. Jesus himself talks to his disciples about this in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the kingdom of the world, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's not the case. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. In the kingdom of the world, servants are looked down on. You're a waiter, you're a janitor, you're a, you know. But in the kingdom of the Lord, God, somehow this king has a great regard to servants. You might ask why? Because he himself came not to be served, but to serve. Look at that. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, talking to, about himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The upside-down kingdom principles that Jesus is talking about is not just principles, empty teachings, but he himself modeled this for us. And he is our king. Now, there's nothing else that describes the upside-down kingdom, paints a picture of the upside-down kingdom in the Bible more than the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 to 7. Now, if you look the entirety of your Bible, if you have a red-letter Bible, you know what a red-letter Bible is? A red-letter Bible is that the fonts in the Bible, uh, it's colored red font when it is God or Jesus directly speaking. Right. When you look into your entire Bible, you will find that the most read 
gushing blood red pages is Matthew 5 to 7. Why? It's all Jesus' words. He was speaking directly to the people. And it's said to be the most important sermon or teaching of the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount is a perfect picture of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus has come to brought about in the world and that you and I have been invited to be a part of. Again, when you were in the Philippines and then you transferred here in Australia, you've changed somehow your behavior according to the patterns and norms that are established here. In the kingdom of the Lord, that's the same thing. When the Lord has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son, uh, the, the kingdom of light, he then, you know, shows us how is it to live a life in the kingdom of God. What does, what does kingdom citizenship look like? What does a Christian life look like? How can we become, you know, citizens and living as citizens in this kingdom of God? The Sermon on the Mount answers this question. So, I miss this as well. Put your right hand on your heart. Come on. <laughs> right hand on your heart. And say your name. I. Say your name. Will read and meditate Matthew 5 to 7 this week. So help me, God. <laughs> Matthew 5 to 7. You know what? If the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most important teachings of your king, wouldn't you want to understand it? Yeah? So let's just read verse 1 to 2. Wow. Jesus. Galing. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. It introduces the Sermon on the Mount. It mentions there, as described, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now I want you to notice two words there. The first one is the crowds. And the second one is the disciples. So Jesus saw the crowds. And when we say crowds, at this stage, it's by the thousands. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. Because of the miracles and the increasing fame of Jesus at the time. You know, he's performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead. Uh, a lot of people are just following along. The crowds, when, the, when Jesus saw the crowds by the thousands, he departed, went up on the mountain. Remember when I was preaching about the mountain? Why would Jesus go up the mountain when he preaches? Because he wants to know who's really, who's, not, who's there just because he's there interested or because it's a hype or who's there who really wants to know him. You know what I mean? So, and his disciples came to him. Jesus is not really interested with the crowds. He's not really interested by multitudes he loves each person by name but he's looking for disciples and the disciples here his disciples uh that came to him it's not just the 12 disciples when you talk about disciples at the time it's by the hundreds as well they are people who really want to learn from jesus so really want the, who comes to jesus not because of the miracles 
who comes to Jesus not because of what they can get from Jesus, but they come to Jesus because they really want to know Jesus and understand what he's trying to teach. So his disciples came to him. And then he said there uh, that when they reached the mountainside, uh, he sat down. Uh, apparently, the culture or the tradition at the time, uh, the teacher is the one sitting down and the students are the ones standing up. Try natin ngayon. Ayo kayo. Baliktad na ngayon. Teacher is standing up and the students are sitting down. But in their time, that's how it looks like. That's, that's just the cultural meaning of that. And then he began he began to teach them. Now, this picture, the next slide, shows you a picture of probably where, not the exact location, but probably where that mountainside in, in, in uh, uh, the northern side of the Galilean. It's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's probably where you might kind of think that Jesus was teaching the, the sermon, the famous sermon on the mount. Now, why the mountains? Why the mountains? It's significant that it's mentioned mountains as well. It's not just because Jesus wants to know who's really serious and knowing him. And he, it's not just because it's a beautiful view. <laughs> but normally, this is the case. Revolutionaries gather their followers on mountains. In ancient time and even now, NPA. Nasa na mga NPA? Sa bundok. Abu Sayyaf. Nasaan sila? In the mountains. From back then until now, when there is a revolutionary, when there is someone who wants to introduce a new administration, a proclamation of a movement, they gather up in the mountains. And you know what? Jesus is doing the same. He is actually trying to say to the people, I am a revolutionary, and I am a subversive, uh, this is a subversive movement, and I want to introduce a new government, a new administration. And the Sermon on the Mount is said to be that. It's a manifesto. It's a manifesto of the kingdom. Jesus is introducing a manifesto of the kingdom. Are you following me? You're still with me? Okay. Fantastic. Uh, John Stott, one of the uh, Bible scholars and commentators, said this. The Sermon on the Mount is the part of Jesus' teaching that is best known, best known, everyone knows about it, least understood and least obeyed. <laughs> it is most famous, least understood, and least obeyed. Why do you think so? Because it's hard. It's not an easy teaching. In fact, it's very radical. Now, let's look first into the context of the first century listeners, right? When Jesus was proclaiming and declaring this, people are expecting a Messiah. The Jews are expecting a Messiah. And what their expectation of the coming kingdom prophesied by the prophets of the Old Testament is that this new king, this coming king, is going to be a military leader like David. They were expecting an economic, military, and a powerful kingdom in the mindset of the ancient kingdoms that David uh, also led these people against their enemies. And when they were listening to Jesus and uh, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you can just imagine their kind of quote-unquote disappointment. 
to what Jesus is talking about. Because what the Israelites at the time were expecting is a kingdom that will kick out the Roman emperor, the Roman empire, the Roman oppressors. They're expecting to be free from the oppression of the Roman empire. And yet here, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Upside down principle of what they are expecting. Are you with me? Um, I have to just bring this to your attention. The Sermon on the Mount, by the way, when you read it, we will kind of like have a little bit of idea of that. When we read it, don't mistake the Sermon on the Mount as an instruction for being saved. It's not. It's not Jesus teaching, these are the things that you have to do, and then you'll go to heaven. You'll have eternal life. No, 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 no. He's already talking to the disciples. This is already saved people, and the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus teaching and telling them, now that you are part of this kingdom, this is now the way that you should live. Now, when you read the Sermon on the Mount this week, as you really carefully read it, this is what you might, this is what you might experience, unless you are very, very, very holy. <laughs> this is what you might experience. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you will realize how much of a sinner you really are. It's what you will experience. Because when you read it, you will kind of think, yep, that's not me. Yep, that's not me. Yep, I can't. It's hard to do that. Yep, mm, failing at that one. We will realize how much of a sinner we really are. But let not that discourage you because why? Because it also should draw you closer to God with a desire and a knowledge and understanding that, Lord, I cannot live this kind of life without your Holy Spirit. You with me? You cannot live the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's impossible to be lived um, without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to be. And, and normally, when you move from one kingdom to another, just like in any other migrations, it takes time for you to adopt and to kind of slowly change into the mold of that society. And that's the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount. It, it takes time to fully develop into that which Jesus is teaching us. What's amazing about the Sermon on the Mount, every time you will read the, cha the chapters or the parts or the chunks of it, you will see Jesus in it. Jesus is not just teaching, again, ethics or principles. He is basically saying that's who he, he is. He lived that. Jesus is the personification of the Sermon on the Mount. And if Christian life is about Christ-likeness, growing to be more like Jesus, then the Sermon on the Mount is the footsteps that we should follow because Jesus lived that. Jesus, the one, showed us that it is the way to truly live. You're with me? Now, it's, it's, we know that we are covered by grace and our failings and shortcomings. You know, the Lord does not really love us based on our performance you have to remove that mindset you know immediately 
But also when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you shouldn't think that, like, oh, you know what? Jesus already died on the cross for me anyway, so I don't really need to do that anymore. It's wrong because Jesus is teaching this again to his disciples, and it's an invitation, an invitation to his disciples to live their lives to the fullest. It's the secret of the kingdom that those who will follow what Jesus' instructions are in the Sermon on the Mount, they are the ones that the Bible says, the Beatitudes, blessed are those. Blessed are those who, that, that, that. Blessed are you if, that, that, that. Are you with me? You're with me so far? Okay. Fantastic. We, we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, and I mentioned earlier that this is kind of like the staple, kind of, uh, you know, as a preacher or as a pastor, when I go to the Philippines or I'm invited in any other outreach, I normally would have my favorite preachings. You know, I don't just, I don't recycle it for, for the sake of recycling it. Obviously, I contextualize it based on the congregation I'm facing. But I normally have like a, a, a favorite preaching that I really want to bring. You know, uh, some scholars believe that the Sermon on the Mount or the, these teachings of the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom of God, if Jesus is, if there is some sort of favorite teaching, <laughs> it's kind of Jesus' teaching as well. That's, he's an itinerant preacher. When we say itinerant preacher, he goes from place to place, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things that is uh, evident about this is in Luke chapter 6, uh, 17 to 26. It's a completely different scenario. It's not on a mountainside. It's in a flat land. But it's the same message. It's the Beatitudes. So Jesus would have been proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now this is the gospel of the kingdom. Now he talks about the parables of the kingdom, the truths about the kingdom. But he teaches this um, kind of lifestyle in the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. I just have to show you some verses to show you that uh, what I'm telling you is true. <laughs> Matthew 4.23, for example, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, proclaiming repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It basically says that the king is already here. And uh, in Luke, you know, you read Luke chapter 4 and then in chapter 8. Uh, both instances, it declares that uh, Jesus in one instance says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. The good news of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus would normally uh, face two kinds of people. The first set of people are people who completely do not have any idea what the, the gospel of the kingdom of God is. And the second set of people are people who have a completely different idea or uh, expectation of what the, God, the kingdom of God should or must look like. Are you with me? And whenever he preaches and teaches about the gospel of the kingdom, when you read the gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's always that description, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if you listened last week's message, that is the good news of the coming king. 
of the King who has come. That we are finally saved and completely going to be saved because this king is victorious and he has brought us into his kingdom. That's the gospel of the kingdom of God. So look at that. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of God must have been very, very, very important to Jesus because that's what he taught. And part of the gospel of the kingdom is obviously the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever he comes from one village to another, he teaches people a completely radical and different pattern of living in that kingdom. Uh, you are with me so far? Raise your thumbs if you are. Yikes. Hallelujah. So let me just bring you into like four key ideas. It's just a helicopter view of Matthew 5 to 7. As I've said, I encourage you to read Matthew 5 to 7 this week and continue to soak yourself in it and with a prayer that Lord, enable me, mold this within me, that this bear fruit within my spirit. So the four key ideas, the question that we are trying to answer is what is Jesus trying to show in the Sermon on the Mount? What is he trying to do here? What's What's, what is he, is he trying to accomplish when he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the gospel, of the, the gospel of the kingdom? All right, let's break it down to four uh, kind of core ideas in the whole chapters 5, 6, and 7. The first one is the mo one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. He's teaching the Beatitudes, the character of the kingdom citizens. The Beatitudes shows us what a kingdom citizen looks like. Would you uh, fix your eyes on the screen and let's just watch this short video clip from The Chosen. I love this scene when Jesus was trying to prepare for the Sermon on the Mount and he was with his disciple Matthew. Have I? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. Amen. That's your beatitudes. Beautiful, isn't it? The kingdom of God is completely different from the kingdom of the world. The things that this world applauds, popular culture, trending. What's trending in this world is not trending in heaven. What this world claps on is not necessarily great in eternity's eye. But what this world normally looks down on, meekness, sacrifice, poverty, they're the ones that are great in heaven. These are your beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that's contradictory because why would a poor in the spirit be happy? By the way, that word blessed is happy. That's the, that's the translation as well. That word, Greek word blessed is equivalent to the word happy are those. Why, what is Jesus trying to do here? Jesus is actually saying, you want to be happy? You're trying to chase everything that this world tells you to chase and accumulate. And the world tells you, when you have this, you'll be happy. When you accumulate this, you'll be happy. When you do this, you'll be happy. And what, where do you find yourself? Still empty. Still longing for more. It doesn't fill you. And what Jesus is trying to say is, do you want to be happy? This is the way to be happy. Blessed are those who mourn. How can a mourning person be happy? <laughs> it, it just does something in your brain, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemaker. Those who, who are persecuted for righteousness. And on and on and on. Jesus fleshes this out with a story in Luke chapter 16. Not on the, not on the, the, the slides. But just a quick story. When he talks about... The story was that there were so many Pharisees and, and rich people that he was with at the time. And they were on a feast. They were feasting and all that. And, and then he tells a story about the rich man wearing purple linen and feasting every day. Now, you have to be incredibly rich if you're feasting every day. Because the feasting at their time is occasional. When you kill a cow, you eat that for a day, that's it. They don't have refrigeration system. <laughs> if that person is feasting every day, it means that it's incredibly rich. And then Lazarus. Do you remember that story? In the kingdom of the world, the rich man is, obviously, you know, when you look at Luke chapter 6, the version of the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6, uh, it adds, in, in Matthew 5, it doesn't add the woes. 
But in Luke chapter 6, it is the blessings and the woes. Blessed are the poor. And then later on, it says, woe to those who are rich <laughs> in this world. I'm, God is not saying, I don't like rich people. <laughs> you have to understand that that has a meaning as well. But what he's saying in the illustration of Lazarus and the rich man, there is a reversal. The rich man was popular on earth, but after they both died at the same time, the reversal happened. The rich man was in hell, and then this poor Lazarus is in heaven feasting. And then this rich man, when he saw Lazarus feasting in heaven, and he was there in hell, he says basically to uh, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger on water and put it on my tongue. You know what? Even this rich man, he's already in hell. He was not repentant at all. He was not remorseful. He was still acting as if he is master. Because what he was asking Father Abraham to do, Lazarus to do, is a master's command to a servant. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, if you kind of look at that story, there is a reversal. You might do well here on earth, but if you don't have relationship with the Father. You know what I mean? And we know that. There's a lot of rich people in this world. A lot of powerful, influential people in this world. What's amazing, what's funny is that, you know, the rich man and Lazarus died at the same time. Do you know what? C.S. Lewis, one of the great apologists and author of the Chronicles of Narnia, a pastor as well. Um, C.S. Lewis died at the exact same day as John F. Kennedy. I wonder what reversal happened in eternity. I don't know John F. Kennedy as well if he knows, believes in Jesus. And another one, you know what? Mother Teresa died at the sa exact same day as Princess Diana. You can experience luxuries in this world and forget about God, but eternity is much longer than your lifetime on earth. You with me? Amen. Ha <laughs> Hip hip. <laughs> That's so funny. Because <laughs> I said hip hip. Hooray. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I'm just trying to break the ice. Amazing, isn't it? Blessed are you blessed are you i i pray that as christians as children of god we will begin to see this life when you're a part of the kingdom of god you will begin to see this life in the lens of god's kingdom if you watched the free guy in disney plus <laughs> the free guy i love that part when he was given these glasses uh, when he wore the glasses was like whoa and you began to see everything that normal people doesn't see. <laughs> when he wears that glasses, he finds all the benefits that are available for him that he can just take. And then he can be, you know, more empowered to do whatever he needs to do. Some people are like, what are you talking about? That's just an illustration. When you become a Christian and when you are introduced and you read your Bible, this Bible gives you that glasses. Kind of like... Whoa, 
I didn't know I can have that. I didn't know I have access to that. I didn't know that that's my inheritance. I didn't know that that was promised for me. You with me? Yeah, blessed are you. The second one is that Jesus was trying to fix what's wrong. As I mentioned earlier, he was trying to correct the mindset of the disciples because again, the Jews and the Israelites were expecting a different kind of manifestation of a kingdom. It's a military kingdom. It's an economic, wealthy, power-driven kingdom that will topple down the oppressors, which are the Romans. But Jesus was not like that. He was emphasizing on the heart. He was emphasizing on a spiritual kingdom that is far greater, much bigger, and much more important than any physical or uh, uh, earthly things that this world possesses. I love it when we have family, ca uh, family camps and, you know, red, blue, blue, green, and yellow fights together. I remember when si Onin, Onin was, no, panlupa lang yan, kasi laging talo na new red team. <laughs> panlupa lang yan, right? Minsan, biru lang yan, it's ju just a joke, but definitely it's, it has a reality in it. <laughs> red, go red team, red team po ako eh, <laughs> panglupa lang yan. <laughs> no, 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 the thing that is very important to many people in this world, when you're a Christian, you begin to realize, you know what? Panglupa lang yan. Masyado kang magpapagod, panglupa lang yan. Makikipag-away ka pa kasi yun ang pinaniniwalaan mo. Panglupa lang yan. Don't enter into defenseless debates, okay? Panglupa lang yan. <laughs> Fixing what's wrong, correcting the mindsets of the disciples. You will find in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Jesus is saying, this is what's popular in your culture, in your norm, in your belief, but that's completely wrong in the kingdom of God. I tell you this. So what would you rather believe? The popular opinion or the word of God. You know, the world says, follow your heart. The Bible says, your heart is deceitful above all things. Why would you follow it? The world says, more, 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 more. And then the Bible says, give, 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 give. What would you follow? What would you, you know, do not store up treasures on this earth where moth and dross destroys but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What would you follow? It's, it's amazing to me that Jesus many times, most of the time, talks about, you know, storing up treasures for yourselves in heaven and do not be too much invested in the kingdom of the world. And yet, still, a lot of people and even Christians still doesn't follow that. Uh, the value and the prioritization still is not aligned to the kingdom of God. So, what would you choose? We always have a choice. The third one that Jesus is trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount is he's, he's trying to teach the people to do what's right. And this is kind of like the norms, the ethics, as we may say, ethics and norms in the kingdom of God. He talks about marriage, relationships, generosity, prayer and fasting, the right way of doing it. Um, and, and we will find here, you know, somehow the do's and the don'ts. And sometimes we hate, you know, a book of rules. Uh, we don't like them normally because uh, we have a 
tendency to be rebellious. But you know, when Jesus is talking about the do's and the don'ts, in the uh, so, firstly, let's have a look. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, he uses that word when and not if. Because when he uses the word when, it means that it is expected. As a child of God, as Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is what's expected of us, that we will pray, that we will give, that we will fast. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. It's not if you pray, if you give, if you fast. Imagine if I say, if you breathe. <laughs> you have no choice. Yeah? So I will say, when you breathe, because it's natural. When you become a child of God, this slowly and surely becomes natural to you. Before, when you're in the kingdom of the world, you were greedy. But now that you have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are generous. Amen? When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And we cannot escape that part where Jesus says, do not be like that. Do not be this, do not be like that. Do not be like the hypocrites. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not worry about your life. Do not judge the do-nots, do-nots, do-nots. And as much as I want to kind of sugarcoat that, it's it. <laughs> Jesus says, do not. You know, it's, uh, it's not a legalistic thing that Jesus is trying to say. You know, you don't do this, you don't do that. And if you, don't, if you, if you do this or if you don't do that, then I will not love you anymore. It's not like that. He's inviting the people to do these things because it's you who's going to benefit from it. <laughs> yeah? Do not do and don't. The do's and don'ts of the Lord is not legalistic. It is loving. You as parents, you have your do's and don'ts for your children. <laughs> Why do you do that? Power tripping? <laughs> no. You have your do's and don'ts for your children because you want... You're loving them. And this is the same thing with the Lord. And look at this. My friends, the Sermon on the Mount is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, you know, if you feel like, it's okay. When you see a 70 sign on the road when you're driving, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> it's 70. Now, you can try to drive 100 on a 70 zone, but that will endanger the people around you, and you will have fines. Good luck. <laughs> the, the do's and the nots of Jesus is not a suggestion. It is expected. Because that's how the kingdom of God works. <coughs> Are you with me? Are you with me? Ah, oh, Pastor Jeff, it's so hard. And the Christian life is hard when you don't have the Holy Spirit enabling you. Enabling you. Enabling you to do it. You with me? He was encouraging, inviting the people to do the right thing. To live this kingdom lifestyle. And then last but not the least, number four is a call to seek God. To seek after God. Choosing your king. Most of the time we have conflict because the kingdom that we have in mind is a kingdom that is involving our comfort, our pleasures, our wants, our desires. But that is a kingdom wherein you are king. 
But most of the time, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus presents uncomfortable teaching. Love your enemies. How do you do that? Yeah? It's uncomfortable. And in his kingdom, he is king. He is king. Are, are, you, are you getting my point? It's always a choice of who is going to be king. In the Sermon on the Mount, you have the narrow or the broad gate. You choose. Which one are you going to take? The narrow road or the broad road? The, the narrow gate or the broad gate? The narrow gate, more difficult. The broad gate, more popular. Many go, many go to the broad gate and then the end of it is destruction. Many go, a few follow the narrow gate and the end of it is life. It's the upside down kingdom. Again, my friends, whatever is popular in this world may not be necessarily popular in heaven. Max Lucado has a book. Uh, the title of the book is The Applause of Heaven. I love that book. At the end of that book, he encourages the readers, you know, live your life for the applause of heaven, not the applause of men. In this world, everything you will see in media, social media, television, advertisements, it will continue to lure you towards what? Gold girl's glory. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Gold, greed, money, materialism, it will continue to stir up your, uh, uh, what do you call that? Um, appetite for it. Whatever you see, right? Am I right or am I right? The advertisements, everything you see, gold, if, if it's not materialism, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. The shows you watch, the things you see, you know, and then last but not the least, glory, self-glory. You know, your self-fame, that it's, you, it's all about you, that you will be applauded by everybody else. And, and that's completely the opposite of the kingdom of the Lord. Hey, you with me so far? Okay. Now let's bring this home. As I said already, kingdom living is only really possible through kingdom enablement. It's good to read it, and we might feel unequal for it or incapable of doing it. But the good news of Jesus is this. He promised the Holy Spirit. As a pastor, as your pastor, this is really my desire that you will grow in your walk with the Lord, that every day you will find yourself depending more and more in the Holy Spirit. So when you wake up in the morning, Father, enable me to live kingdom life today. Holy Spirit, let the flow of the Spirit be abundant and consistent and continuous. Again, when we were talking about rivers, I was telling to you, the river is continually flowing. It's up to you to drink. I pray that you will consistently drink because that is where the power lies. And I did a, I did a test drive of the bicycle yesterday. Love it. Thank you so much for the gift. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I've been a long time that I have ridden... My, when I got home, this whole store, <laughs> right? And then I thought of something when I was writing this preaching last night. I was thinking, wow, it was a breeze riding that bicycle because it's brand new. And of course, the tires are still good and perfect, uh, perfectly aired. 
But here's the thing. No matter how good of a bike rider you are, like Kuya Jerry, no matter how good of a bike rider you are, if your tires are flat, you will wear yourself out. You need air to be able to run well. You need air. Some of you have been trying to live this Christian life without air. You're doing your best. You're giving all your best effort, your strength, you're pouring it out. Your heart is in it. No question about that. But this Christian life is not meant to be lived without air on your tires. You need air. The Holy Spirit, Ruach, Numa, air. It's the power to live the kingdom life. And if you're not tapping into this power each and every day, you know what? You have to increase your hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come fill me today. Holy Spirit, enable me, empower me today. I can't live this Christian life without you, without this air. You with me? You will wear yourself out. A lot of people become burnt out, tap out of church, tap out of the Christian life because they find it it's so exhausting. And the reason is because you've relied on your own strength, my friends. You're not meant to. God wants you to use His power. And you know what? The Sermon on the Mount is this. It's not you have to do this for God. God doesn't need anything from you. It's not that you do this for God. God is teaching this because He wants you to do this for you. It's for you. He doesn't need it. You need it. And you do it not on your own strength. What's amazing about God is that He wants you to do it for you through Him. The power is Him through you. And the result is for you. And then the kingdom life, you know what? The disciples of all, the apostles, Peter, James, John, Apostle Paul, they breathed, lived, breathed the Sermon on the Mount. They lived it. They did not just teach it. They lived it. In fact, it's very evident. It's been echoed again and again in the letters, in the epistles, in the letters of Peter, in the letters of Paul. It's been echoed. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, forgiveness is the way of the kingdom. Humility is the way of the kingdom. Again and again, they lived it, they echoed it, they breathed it. That's why they made a difference in their time. I wonder if Christians in this generation will take the Sermon on the Mount seriously. I wonder if we will live it and we will breathe it. I wonder what kind of difference we will make in our community. I wonder what kind of light you will be in your workplace. I wonder what impact you will have on your family. 
when you take Sermon in the Mount and give it to God and say, Father, I want this bearing fruit in my life. Holy Spirit, enable me. Amen? And we live it, you know, we live it because, not just because it's a good idea and it's not a suggestion, but because we are following our King who paved the way, modeled it for us, and we love Him. And if it's important to Him, then it's important to me. Yes? Yes, Jesus is King. <laughs> now, before we sing this song, if you're watching online or maybe you're here in this room, most of the time we present Jesus as Savior. Yes, He is Savior, but He is Savior King. And one of the wonderful things about this upside-down kingdom is that in the kingdom of the world, it's the people who gives their life to save their king, right? It's the people who sacrifices their life to save their king. But in this upside-down kingdom that we belong to, it is the king who gave his life for his people. That's the kind of king that I, I serve. And that's the kind of king that I would like to emulate. I would like to follow his example. So if you are in this room right now or joining us online, you know, you want, God wants you to be part of this kingdom. And that king died for you so that you can be part of this kingdom, this eternal, everlasting kingdom. If you will open your heart and you will say, Pastor Jeff, from this day on, I want to be declaring my allegiance to this king. And I want to be growing in this kind of lifestyle that this kingdom life possesses. Now remember it, my friends. Don't follow the patterns of this world. The kingdom of this world is going to end. But the kingdom of the Lord, the patterns of his kingdom, that's what's eternal. Amen? I just want to pray for you. If you are that person, everyone, would you like to stand up? Or would you like to begin interceding? If there are some people watching us online, and somehow the Lord has touched your heart today, I just want to lead you to a prayer, a simple prayer of surrender, a yielding prayer, a yield to your kingship, Lord. I am not king. I am not king. You are. And I'm going to follow you. Come on. Would you pray with me? And say, Father, thank you for your eternal kingdom. I understand, Lord, that you want me to be part of your kingdom. But I am a sinner. But thank you, Lord, that you, who is king of this kingdom, died on the cross so that I can belong to this kingdom of yours. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me of my sins and transform me. Enable me by the power of your Spirit to walk as you walk and to live in this kingdom life that you called for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, join us in worship. Let's exalt the Lord together. Hallelujah. Oh, bless you, Lord.
Come on, set your heart on Him. Set your heart on Him. Oh 
Come on, make this your commitment to the Lord. With a cry for the Spirit. Oh, Lord, enable me. Holy Spirit, enable me. Rolling you alone, Jesus. kingdom. We choose your kingdom. Oh, with what this world offers us versus the kingdom of God, we will always choose the kingdom. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who belong to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I just want to bless you. Even as I pray for a benediction prayer, I just also want to continue to invoke the power of the Holy Spirit to flow upon your life. Come on, would you, in your own personal words, desire for more? Come on, the Bible says the Lord will not withhold anyone who asks for His Spirit. Come on, ask for more of the Spirit of the living God in you. Hallelujah, let it flow. Receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, receive empowerment. Receive the gift from heaven. Oh, Lord, we need more of you. We ask for more of you. We don't want to run on flat tire. We don't want to run on flat tire. Lord, give us air. Oh, fill us for more. Oh, fill us to the overflow. Receive the Holy Spirit, church. Oh, there is a new season. There is a new road in front of us. Hallelujah. And the Lord wants you filled with His strength. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Be ministered, come on. Be ministered. Yes, someone is still. Someone is being filled right now. Infilling of the Spirit. Come on. Yes, I can send someone being filled by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Even those who are at home. Yes, the Lord is filling you up. Come on, receive. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, we receive it. We receive it, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, the freshness, the Jew of heaven, hallelujah. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Woo. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> yes, 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 yes.